That's just a snapshot of what we experienced over the past week. And I still have African uh, dust on my sandals. I have African dust in my nasal passages. Came home with a nice wicked airplane cold. And I'm completely flipped over with jet lag. It feels like it's two o'clock in the morning right now. And uh, I want you to just catch a snapshot of what it is that has been happening and stirring. Um, So this is the message that I wrote that I was going to preach when I got home. Came home last week, uh, wrote it on the airplane, seats all highlighted, ready to go, nice tidy little manuscript. We got to the rehearsal yesterday afternoon, kind of did a walkthrough at about four o'clock. I preached three quarters of the way through it and I just, I just said, this is just dumb. Because the Holy Spirit came and stood right here and said, that's not it. You missed it. So I need you to do me a favor. Uh, we're going to do something that completely freaks me out because you know I like to be prepared, written out every single word. We're going to go completely unfiltered and uncensored today. I need you to take your outline out of your program. I need you to crumple it up and throw it at somebody in the room. Just, just chuck it at somebody. Come on, it's church, it's fine. Just throw it. There you go. Perfect. Awesome. That's awesome. Woohoo! Bunch of fifth graders. That's great. Awesome. All right. I don't know who this was for, but it was not for you. And we could only do this at the last service, the sleep-in service, because otherwise the church would be all messy. So woohoo! All right. So, so what, I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth in the next 30 minutes or so. So you just put on your seatbelt and pray for forgiveness. That'd be good. Okay. So right before we left for Africa, Mama Shirley, who's our international missions director, she gave me two verses. And when Mama Shirley says, take these verses along with you to Africa, that's what you do. So I printed them off. I stuck them in the fly leaf of my Bible, not really thinking too much about anything. And I didn't really refer to them a whole lot over the trip. And, and then just yesterday afternoon, all of a sudden, this verse just started knocking on my heart over and over and over again. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. I know most of you did your quiet time in Zephaniah this morning. God bless you. Um, it says this, then I will purify the lips of all peoples. That all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. In my understanding, the only time in the Bible that that phrase shoulder to shoulder shows up is in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9. And I started thinking back just yesterday afternoon about all of the times I ended up shoulder to shoulder with somebody. And how God used those moments to just absolutely infect my heart again with God's love for the people all over the world. Our main purpose in going to Africa was to dedicate the house of hope. Hope in Swahili is Tumaini. Can you say that with me? Tumaini. There you go. Now you know some Swahili, okay? That word means hope. And, and, and you as a church, you, you crazy group of people, you made the decision to go to the other side of the world and actually build a house. That house is not a house anymore. It's a home. It's a home for children orphans in Tanzania who just desperately needed a place to be loved and to belong to. And it's called the house of hope, the Tumaini home. So that was our purpose. We went over there and and, and last Saturday afternoon, I stood shoulder to shoulder with a group of elected officials from the area, some of whom we've had to pray very deeply against because they did not want a Christian house of hope in that neighborhood. It's very Muslim dominated. And so they have made it difficult, bureaucratic red tape and all kinds of permits and stamps and all different kinds of stuff that has gotten in the way. And I find myself standing shoulder to shoulder with some of these people that, 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 we've, that we've had to work against to try and make this happen. And yet I'm absolutely broken by the fact that God loves them. That he desperately loves them enough to die on a cross for every single one of them. And, and 
I'm standing there, what, you know, I'm, I'm like the token white guy in the room, right, you know? You know, and I've got the loudest African shirt on known to humankind, right? I brought it home, it's glowing from linden, you can see it, you know? You thought it was sunshine, it's my shirt, okay? And, and, and I'm standing there shoulder to shoulder with these guys and I'm saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to know? And he, it was just so clear, the words just came so clear, just listen, listen to what I'm doing just capture the heart of it. And as the weekend went along and, and we started to unfold some of the stories, John Mulcahway, who is the director over there, he's one of my friends, my heroes. Just love this guy to death. He told me the story of a little girl that had come and, and kind of got abandoned at the front gate. But can you imagine someday just opening up your front door and there's a, and there's a little girl curled up in a ball on your front doorstep? What would you do? And he told us the story, and unfortunately, it's such a common story of how this little girl came. She was abandoned alone. Pretty soon, you hear the words HIV, you hear the word AIDS, you hear parents are dead, parents are gone. And and she came to them alone, malnourished. She, She was unable to interact with another human being. She never knew how. She did not know how to play. Try to wrap your head around that. A child who does not know how to play because she's never been given the opportunity to play. She did not smile she'd never used those muscles in her face before. And when they brought her into that little home, John said that, she, that she, she would always sit like this in the corner. That she would cower because if a person came near her, she only knew one thing about people. They were evil and they will hit you. And that's how she came into this incredible little place, this little shining light, this house of hope. And he told me the story. I kind of forgot about the story as the day went along because stories just kind of weave into stories and, on the, the last morning that we were there, I decided I should probably do something pastoral. And so I decided I'd go for a prayer walk through the orphanage that you built there. And I walked through every room and I put my hands on the walls, asked God to turn it from a house into a home, walked into the dining areas and prayed over the sinks and prayed over the tables. And then I prayed over the long drop toilets. And those are exactly what you think they are, just so you know, okay? Don't think about it too long. It's nasty, Okay. And then I ended up sitting by myself on the front steps of the, of the House of Hope, right beside this beautiful plaque that says, Built by the People of Christ the King Church, Bellingham, Washington. And I, I'm, I'm sitting there by myself. And if you were here the last time I got home from Africa, God has a thing about just putting kids beside me there and wrecking me completely. So I'm sitting there and, and I realize I'm not all by myself and I turn and there's a little girl just sitting down at the end of the little bench there on the end of the concrete steps. And I said, Karibu, which in Swahili means welcome. And she kind of slid right over next to me and pretty soon I was shoulder to shoulder with this beautiful little African girl. I asked her her name. She didn't say anything. She just looked at me. That was our whole conversation. <laughs> we just sat there together for a little while and And then she crawled into my lap and she looked right into my eyes and she whispered, Asante Sana, thank you very much. Then she got up, her caretaker had actually been watching her, Judy had been watching her from the gates. I asked her, I said, what's this little girl's name? It's the little girl John had told me about. You know what her name is? It's Tumaini. They named her Hope. And she lives in a house that Hope built 
by a group of people who hoped that we could actually have an effect somewhere else in the world outside of Bellingham, Washington. And if she was here, I know what she'd say to you. Asante Sam. I'd like to introduce you to your daughter, Christ the King. Can I see a picture of our little girl? Ah, there she is. Not bad, huh? Not bad. Christ the King, you need to understand this. You saved her life. She would have died without you a couple months ago. But you saved her life, and now she's growing into this amazing woman of God, and she's going to live out her name. And she's going to bring hope to her generation. So I found myself shoulder to shoulder with government leaders, shoulder to shoulder with an orphan who stole my heart. Last Sunday morning, I found myself shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in Christ that you've never met before. I got to preach in a church in Arusha, Tanzania, a Pentecostal African church. It was my dream come true. It was awesome. They start church at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. And they are fired up. They, get to, they do this, this dance. You know, I can't do it, but it's just awesome. You know, some of you are going to have a nightmare with that in your head now, right? I'm sorry. Okay. But, but, but we're just up there and we're, I'm, you know, we're preaching and I'm preaching shoulder to shoulder with, with an African pastor named Philip. And he's just translating. And both of us, we're just sweating. I mean, and, and we're just going for it. And, and the power keeps going out because they've got rolling blackouts that happen all the way, all the time. And in the second service, you know, the power goes down and he looks at me. He goes, we can wait. Or we can shout. Let's shout. I mean, you know, I was just loving it. I was loving it. I was having so much fun. Preaching at the top of my brains. And as a part of the message, I, I asked them to pray for our country. That God would help bring us back to the foot of the cross. And I shared the story of, of my wife, Laurel, and her struggle with an eye disease. Now we've been praying for a miracle. And I shared about you guys and, and how your heart was for, for Africa and the people that were over there. And when we were finished in the last service, Philip, Philip just says, let us pray. And I experienced something I never experienced before. The entire church stands to their feet and they all begin to pray out loud simultaneously. A thousand voices in Swahili praying and talking to God at the top of their lungs. We could, we could learn a few things about worship from our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. I mean, seriously, we are, we, we are so inhibited. We are so frozen and we kind of take pride in it. You know, let's stand like a stick in Jesus' name. You know, these guys are like, it's just moving all of the time. And, and as they're praying all together, out loud at the same time, John's standing beside me. And I'm like, John, what is he talking about? He goes, they're praying for the United States. They're praying that your country would come back to God and find a passion for Jesus again. And then it started to change. And he goes, Grant, they're praying for your wife. They're praying for a miracle from the other side of the world. And that God would wrap his hands around her and give her back her complete and total sight. And then he goes, they're praying, I pray, they're praying for your church. They're praying that they would understand that they have been blessed to be a blessing. And they're just praying up a storm. And I find myself shoulder to shoulder with these amazing brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. And I, I'm thinking, I came here to give. And look what I'm getting in return. We finished three services. Absolutely exhausted by the time we're done. And we're not done that day. We go out into the middle of Engkert. You saw the pictures. The wasteland. The, the place of thorns. 
We're out in the middle of nowhere. And I find myself shoulder to shoulder with a young man named Bariki. He was the young guy who was translating for me on the side of the baptismal tank. And, and you need to know this about Bariki. Years ago, Bariki gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And they took a bounty out on him to have him killed because of his conversion. But he couldn't stay away for very long. And he came back to his village and he preached that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose again for each one of them. And God began to stir something in that particular area. And, and, and we had an opportunity. We're out in the middle of Maasai land, like National Geographic country. Do you get that? We're out in the middle of nowhere and we're having a church service with these Maasai believers. And we actually did a child dedication. And all of these beautiful, all these beautiful Maasai moms bring their kids and present them to God. They give them back to God. And, and this group of people from the tribe of Bellingham come and stand around them. And they're laying hands on them. And we're praying up a storm in the middle of this dust bowl. And, and at the end of dedicating children, Emmanuel, one of the guys says, he said, you need to preach the gospel. I'm like, okay, John 3, 16. That's where we started. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the Maasai people. For God so loved the people of Whatcom County, the tribe of Bellingham, that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would never perish, but have eternal life. It's like a seven-minute message, just laying out the gospel and then explaining baptism. Then when we get in the water, we're identifying with the death of Christ going under the water. And then we're identifying with, with the resurrection of Jesus when we come back out. And I finished off with these words. And if any man is in Christ... He's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And we start baptizing people. And it is the most incredible thing. I'm shoulder to shoulder with a Maasai pastor. Straight across from me is my son, Braden. That's who was in the tank with me. And we're baptizing a Maasai chief. Like, we have no idea the implications of this. Let me talk to those of you for a second who've never been baptized because you don't want to get your hair wet, okay? Let me, let me just call you out directly, okay? The level of courage that it took those people to be baptized should make you ashamed of yourself for your excuse. Because you need to understand something. A Maasai person has never been immersed in water their entire life. They don't bathe. It's not a part of their culture. And they think we stink like flowers. <laughs> they think you guys smell awful. White mazungus, that's what they call us. Foreigners. They've never been immersed in water. And now two white foreigners are going to put them underwater. And they don't know if they're coming back up again. That takes courage. We had an amazing thing happen while we were there. We baptized the chief, which influences the entire village. Amazing deal. And as we go through the list of people, we're baptizing men and women and children. and They're getting up out of the tank. I think we're done. And we let the last guy go out of the water and tap on my back shoulder. I turn around and there is another Maasai warrior standing in the water. And I look at Emmanuel and Bariki. I'm like, he wants to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior right now and be baptized. Right now. Okay. Pastor Mateo leads him to Christ. We now baptize you in the name of the... It was like right out of Acts chapter 2. We baptize him. We're helping him out of the tank. Another Messiah warrior. 
He wants to accept Jesus Christ and be baptized right now. Okay. We had a revival breakout in the place of thorns. And we have no idea. This is like world history kind of stuff. And we are right smack dab in the center of it. I've been shoulder to shoulder with other people of Christ the King who've been living out the mission of Jesus. Out in the Inga Carrot is this little clinic that you built. You built this beautiful little building and there's a water project there where people come, they literally walk for miles to come and get water. And that's where it all started. And now there's a medical clinic there and you see these, the Maasai moms bringing in their children and you know, it's amazing. We get a cough here and we go to the drugstore and get something. They get a cough there and they die. So it's simple, basic medical needs. But, the, but, but, but they're being met in Jesus' name. The afternoon of the baptism, we fed over 500 Maasai people. And you need to understand, this area is wrapped in drought. What you're seeing on your television, that's happening there. Right there. I learned something about being face-to-face with famine in Africa and watching it on TV. When you're in Africa, you can't change the channel. When you see an emaciated little child, you can't just walk away. you got to do something about it. You paid for the food. You fed hundreds in Jesus' name. And I got to watch it. I got to actually be a part of it. I saw a living example of Habakkuk chapter 3. It says this, Although the fig tree doesn't blossom, neither there shall be fruit on the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields will yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the field, and there shall be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. What you find there is people who are depending on God. Here, here's what I see as an incredible difference between what's happening here and what's happening there. They actually have to pray the Lord's Prayer and mean it. We just go to the fridge. Give us this day our daily bread. They actually have to pray that God's going to give them something to eat that day. And it takes a level of spiritual passion up. And here's what's the amazing thing about Carrot. In Habakkuk chapter 3, it says there's no animals in the stalls. In Carrot, uh, Tanzania, there are. There's a whole little farm system there. And it's filled with goats and chickens and cows, most of which were bought by a family from Christ the King Church. If the Phillips family is here, I saw your herd, it's doing awesome. (laughs) Chickens and goats everywhere. In fact, I met the little herdsman who looks after it, who gets paid from people from Christ the King Church, and he's doing an awesome job. And uh, they took care of a black mamba snake problem, and now the chickens are thriving and growing. They got a protein source there, and they're actually providing food for all kinds of people in that area because of your sacrifice. Asante Sana, thank you so much. I find myself shoulder to shoulder with people who are having their needs met in Jesus' name. And I found myself shoulder to shoulder with a guy named Nathan Graff. Most of you have no idea who Nathan is, he belongs to your church. He comes here on Saturday nights. He sits over here and minds his own business and hopes that nobody ever notices him. And Nathan uh, went to Tanzania a couple of years ago and God birthed a passion inside of him that he could win an entire country to Jesus using Jesus and a soccer ball. He saw kids in Africa playing with soccer balls made out of small plastic garbage bags that they tied together with twine. 
And he thought, what if I could bring real soccer balls over here? Had an opportunity to see a part of Nathan's dream. The only grass soccer field in that entire area is outside of a place called New Vision School. And it was planted by a group of people called New Vision Soccer, who's run by a guy from Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. I got to watch Team Africa play Team International, which my son was a part of. And we watched them play on this incredible grass, drought-resistant field where a group of young Muslim boys are being welcomed into the kingdom and the family of God because they come to play soccer and what they get in exchange is the story and the miracles of Jesus. And it's awesome. All because one guy decided to make a difference on the other side of the world. One of these days I'm going to drag Nathan up here even though it's going to kill him. I'm going to make him share his story. Shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters and Maasai chiefs and orphans who need food and directors of YWAM bases and brothers and sisters in Christ who we may not meet this side of heaven, but one day most certainly we will. And I know something. When we get to heaven, if you don't like our loud worship now, you may want to change your mind because I've been a part of worship that will break your eardrums and it is... a pretty incredible summer for me, seeing face to face what God's doing all over the world. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I told you a story of, of how God's just been wrecking me personally lately with the simple theology of Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong told you a story about how God took me to a place called J.H. Ranch in Northern California. How I had a fight with the Holy Spirit, a wrestling match because I didn't want to go forward and receive prayer because I was a pastor and because I have hay fever and there were bales across the front and I just didn't want to do it. And I told you the story of how God wrecked me. Let me experience the same kind of love. You know, I, I finally figured something out. Do you know why as a Christian you resonate with orphan stories? It's because you were an orphan. If you know Jesus here today, you have an orphan story and you can't say you don't because there was a time when you were alone and nobody loved you and you were isolated by yourself and God adopted you into his family. That's why orphans resonate with us so much. It's because we've all been orphans. And I'm up at the front of this ranch camp, struggling. I love camp ministries. If you've been touched by the ministry of Furwood in any way, shape, or form, just stick your hand up. Yeah, see, all over the place. God bless you. Well, God just took me to this experience at JH Ranch, and I'm up at the front praying, praying that nobody would notice me and leave me alone, and God put a brother right beside me, shoulder to shoulder. And in God's providence this weekend, that guy happens to be here in this particular service right now. And so I'm going to ask my friend from Australia via Birmingham, Alabama, and also the director of JH Ranch, the guy who came and prayed with me. This is Rob. Can everybody welcome Rob as he comes up and hangs out with me here? Let me see you, bud. Uh, we didn't know each other. Couple, except a couple months ago, and to meet a, at a set of hay bales is kind of an interesting way of doing it, especially when one of us is having an emotional meltdown. Um, God puts us beside people shoulder to shoulder at times because he knows 
that sometimes we just need to be reminded how much he loves us. Whether it's here in Africa, Northern California, downtown Bellingham, or the Linden Fair. And uh, as a part of my journey over the summer, I really believe, like, finally, I'm trying to figure out my life purpose. I believe I'm a pastor by vocation, but my life purpose is to convince you that Jesus is everything he says he is. And that he has everything for you that he promised. And that your life will only count if it counts for him. That's it. It's my whole life purpose. Well, these guys at JH, all they do is talk about life purpose. They drive you nuts. I mean, every time you turn around, they're stringing you at the top of like a 100-foot rope swing. They're tying you up you know, 60 feet off the ground and making you trust your daughter with your life and all that kind of stuff. And they keep talking about what's your life purpose, you know, which you come grips face to face with when you're scared to death and wetting your pants. Okay. So, um, I mean, it's just a scary deal. And, uh, and Rob is kind of a part of this whole movement. And, uh, if you're interested tonight at six o'clock, if you're a mother or a father and you want to take your relationship with your son or your daughter to a whole new level, Rob's going to talk about JH ranch tonight, six o'clock. We'll be somewhere here in the building. I don't even know what room it's in. Um, but you can come back and join with us. But Rob, in a nutshell, can you just explain to these guys what you try to teach us in a week about discovering your life purpose? Absolutely. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here. And, um, you know, one thing, let me just say this, that uh, I've only known Grant a, a couple of weeks now, but the one thing, if I could sum him up in one word, it would be passion. Isn't that true? So um, <laughs> love spending time with him. You know, it's funny, you've probably never met some uh, an Australian from Alabama, right? <laughs> so that's an interesting accent. I like that. <laughs> but um, I actually came to the States about 11 years ago, was studying at Texas A&M, and uh, on Google found this place called J.H. Ranch out in Northern California. had no idea that I was going to, it was actually going to radically change my life, and I'd be in where I'm doing today. But um, I remember going to this place, and... This guy got up and he said, I I want to tell you something about your life purpose. I've never forgotten. He said it was this. He said, your vocation is completely different from your life purpose. He said, you actually live out your life purpose on the platform of your vocation. It's a complete radical shift in thinking about what we get to do, about what Grant's been talking about today, about the opportunity to take what God has given us to impact other people. And we kind of sum it up in like three letters. It's the acronym for for the words of God, G-O-D. And we say, you can really sum up everything about your life purpose in these three letters. And one is to have a heart of gratitude, a mind of obedience, and a soul of dependence. Everything that that, that happens in our life, we can kind of distill down into one of those three things. And if you think about it, it really sums up what Jesus talked about when they asked him the question, what is the greatest commandment? Out of everything you've talked about, if you were to sum it up, and he said, it's this. He said, it's all about our vertical walk with God and our horizontal relationship with other people. And as you think about that, you think that there's a, there's a priority that comes with that. And that is, is that it all depends on our vertical walk with God. We can't do anything in our life horizontally unless we're vertically connected with God. And as we're vertically connected with him, he's going to ask us to do things that are going to seem fairly irrational. 
like in our obedience to him, he's going to say, I want you to go to Africa. Well, I don't have the money. It doesn't really matter about the money, right? It's just about obeying what he asks us to do. We're just dependent on him. It's about having a heart of gratitude, a mind of obedience, and a soul of dependence. And you know, he, there's, we have a lot of adages at the ranch, but one of them I love, and it says this, is that you'll never actually experience true significance in life until what you do impacts the lives of somebody else. And I remember going to the ranch, and we have programs for parents and their kids, and I watched a dad come one summer with his son that worked on staff with about 120 volunteer summer, summer staff from colleges all over the country. He went through the whole program with his dad, final night at the ranch before they flew home, gave his life to Christ. And I thought, well, I've got a dad in Australia, and he doesn't know Christ. I wonder if I could get him to the ranch. And see, life purpose is all about our vertical walk with him. And out of our vertical walk with him, the only response to walking with him vertically is the overflow into other people. We can't help. Nobody can hold us back from giving out when Christ has given into us. And so I said, I'm going to get my dad to the ranch. So one of my buddies from Montgomery, you know, that's another interesting accent together. And he said, I'll pay for you. I'll pay for your dad to come to the ranch. We went through the whole program. Last night came and went. Dad and I spent two more days at the ranch together. At the ranch, we are in a valley. And there's a big, there's lots of mountains, but there's a mountain behind the ranch with a cross on it where you can see all the ranch. And the day before dad was going to fly home, I took him up to the cross. We spent some time together. And I looked at him right in final words with him before he flew home to Australia. And I said, Dad, I said, if your life was to end tomorrow or today, would you be assured that you spent eternity with your father in heaven? And he said, I don't. And I said, well, do you want to? And he said, I do. So I put my hand around him, led him to Christ. And out of that came the salvation of the rest of my family. You see, when we're vertically connected with him and our life purpose takes us into a place, it's like standing on the edge of this platform like Grant talked about at the ranch. We put people at 40 feet. Things look a lot different at 40 feet, right? Okay? <laughs> it's like, you really? Like I'm going to trust that rope that I'm not going to drop and, and die here today? But it's really standing on right on the edge and saying, God, I'm willing to trust you with my life. And I'm willing to give up everything in my life so that other people can experience what I've experienced. That's really, when it all boils down to it, that's what life purpose is all about. It's about vertically walking with him and our vertical walk with him. And the natural byproduct of it is an overflow horizontally with other people. So... Thank you so much for having us this morning. We appreciate it. So tonight at 6, if you're interested, it's revolutionized my relationship with my son and my daughter. And if you're a parent, just come around 6. It'd be great. Gratitude, obedience, and dependence. Gratitude. Thank you. On behalf of all the children. You know what? It's amazing when you go over there. They're not kids anymore. They're Jackson. They're Tumaini. They're Joyful. Little boy named Joyful. They're Faith. They're Miracles. That's their names. You saved their lives. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you on behalf of them. Thank you for being a church that cares about orphans and widows. We will not stop doing this kind of work. We can't. Obedience. 
Some of you are being stirred right now. And it's driving you nuts because you want God to stir your neighbor. You just want him to leave you alone. And God's knocking and he's rapping and he's saying, will you trust me? Will you follow? Will you go? Stop complaining about being bored in your Christian life. Go to the other side of the world and find out what prayer is really all about and what worship is really all about. Find out whether or not God can use you on the other side of the world. It's okay. You're going to get your heart broken, but don't worry. I'll put it back together again and I'll send you back different. The question is, have you got the guts to put your heart across the line and step up to the edge and say, I have no idea how this is going to happen. But I'll go. Here am I, send me. It's okay that you don't know how that's going to happen because that's dependence. Say, Jesus, I have no clue. He has a clue. And if he wants you to go, he'll send you. He's not looking for your ability, people. He's looking for your availability. And maybe it's time for some of us to stop complaining about our boring, mundane Christian lives. Do something about it. I got to go because you made it possible. And now I'm going to bug you. (laughs) For weeks and months. The end of September we're having a, a gathering of the missions community. If you've ever gone, if you've ever dreamed of going, or if you find yourself waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning praying for Nepal and you have no idea why because you don't know anybody from Nepal, you need to come to that time. And we're going to talk about dreams and possibilities because we have so much more to do in Africa and in Thailand and in India, maybe even in Australia. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and join me. Okay, here's the deal, okay? I've pushed us over the time because I had so much to say. If you need to hear the rest of the story, come back next week. But I love how God works because make no mistake about this. The only reason any of this happened, the only reason we could show you any of these pictures is not because of the tribe of Bellingham. It's because of Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so we're on the other side of the world and Mike's back here in Bellingham putting together a set list. And, and, and I'm on the other side of the world praying, God, I have no idea what we're supposed to sing about at the end of the service, but I know we're supposed to sing about Jesus. And I come back and I open up the service order for the weekend and I go, oh, God is just so good. <laughs> so we're not done. Going to go a little overboard. Wow. We're, we might go six or seven whole minutes past noon. Be careful what you ask for. We might start doing church at 6 a.m. That's the way it probably ought to be done. That would be a miracle. But we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to give back to God our tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest, just let the offering pass you by. We don't want anything from you. Christ the King Church, if this is your family, I'm just going to be real honest with you. We had an okay July, the first two weeks in August. Our finances have just dropped through the bottom of the floor. I know it's summertime and we're all busy and we're thinking, I'm just going to tell you and I'm going to leave it to you. It's between you and God, nothing to do. And if you're a guest, plug your ears. You don't even need to listen to this, okay? But we're just in one of those dry times, summertime. Your tithes and offerings pay for that. That's where the money for the food comes from. It's from you guys, not from me. I do my part, but it's from you guys. So you got to see where it goes. Just leave it between you and the Lord, okay? 
But as the offering passes you by, we're going to stand. We're going to sing, I stand in amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous that he would put us shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. How marvelous that, that he would wreck me at J.H. Ranch and put a brother right beside me to pray and encourage. How marvelous that he would give us life and breath today to bring honor and glory to his name. So when it passes you by, stand and sing. Let's say thank you to Jesus. Asante sana to the God of our creation. Thank you.